Setup. I'm Chris Grace. I'm John Carter. And it's Tuesday, February 25th, 2020. Yeah. Uh, we're going to start. I'm going to show John something. Okay. I have to step away from the mic. This is great audio magic. Yeah. So I've been told to narrate what Chris is doing. Well, Here we go. I mean, this is something I'm learning. Okay. So, um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, I already fucked it up. <laughs> <laughs> did I did I or not? I can't remember. Okay, so okay. Uh we have this. Oh we have this. Yeah, this is where we go. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Okay, so Chris has just turned a ring into a coin that was modeled after his ring. Uh-huh. Just tossed from hand to hand. Let me do that again. That's uh-huh. cool. You just force his finger through it. And then I do... Turning it back yes, into a ring on his finger. That. Ignore that. Uh, this is part I haven't learned yet. And then... Oh, then I show this. Oh, that looks tough. And then... Oh, then I can just be here. Uh, wow. So. so that was Chris uh, audibly doing a Garrett Thomas... Opus. Uh, opus, is that what he calls yeah. it? <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> this is my opus, is what he says. Um. Right. Well, uh, yeah. That's no, it's a, it's a uh, uh, that's a hard. Looks hard. It looks like a difficult routine. There's a lot I don't of, think it would be hard for you. Um, it's hard for me because almost I would say ninety five percent of these things I've never done in my whole life. Sure, I, I might have some familiarity, but even yeah. Oh, this this little coin thing, this disc is not that heavy. Uh, no, that's, it's no, uh, and it is designed to look like the ring. Yeah, so it comes with a, a ring that's non gimmicked. I assume non gimmicked. Does he have uh, a gimmicked version? Because I know that like. Not in this one. There's a thing he puts out called Banded. Yeah, is that the one where the ring gimmick. moves down your fingers? Actually, I don't know how that one works at all, but that uh, one is a gimmick. I know that it doesn't involve a gimmick. This one, um, actually, uh, actually, your fingers are thinner. So I bought Oh yeah, this, I bought a set for... maybe fit on my thumb. So I bought a set for, based on my ring finger size, and you're supposed to buy one size up so that it doesn't, um, so that it moves on and off mm-hmm. pretty easily. Uh, but then I realized the whole routine is on your index finger. So I had to get another size. I so see. I have another set of this that's two millimeters smaller. Right. Um, yeah. So I've been working with that for – that's after about three days of working on that. Okay. That wasn't bad. I, it's I mean, it's definitely a difficult-looking routine. Um, so if I can get that up to speed, I might open with that in my audition. Oh, yeah. And just to be like, hey, look at look what I can do. Right. <laughs> it's the, the thing that was interesting to me is that um, – in working on this, so it's basically you get this this set of, uh, I guess they call them gimmicks, but they're not really gimmicks. They're just props, mm-hmm. um, and you get the you get him talking through the routine, which is interesting. Um, and what I realized while watching it I was like, I was like, oh, I mean, this is magic, but it's really just juggling. Like, like I can do this just by practicing it. Like, right. um, these are just physical skills. I know that all of magic is probably like that, mm-hmm. but there's nothing psychological about this. It's just like, can you just, and there's no audience interaction. So, um, it's, does he talk when he performs this? No, actually I haven't seen him. No, he just does it. And so mm-hmm. <laughs> like it is, I, it's short enough that you can probably, um, get away with it. It does feel a little bit like the kind of thing that you'd want to like get your audio ape and start some, uh, some like inception uh-huh. <laughs> score to go with or something. Cause it's kind of silent in general. Right. Um, but it was just interesting. Cause I was like, Oh, this isn't, you know, 
I know that all the card moves and stuff work they have have a especially cardistry stuff has like a juggling element to it. Right. But this particular was just like, oh, these are just he's just showing a set of physical things that mm-hmm. if you learn how to do them, you can do this routine. Sure. Um, it is interesting. He does he does talk about all the different variations of um, he shows you all the variations that he went through uh-huh. to get to the point where um, is that uh, is there a value in that? Do you think? It's interesting to me because actually some of the there's one move here. I'll just show you this. There's one move where at the beginning of it, um, he shows you what he used to do. So it starts like this. Uh, sorry, Chris so showing like this. his hand empty. He's got a coin there palmed. Yeah, uh, you know, don't, don't talk through all of it because yeah, okay. then we, people won't want to buy it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but so then he, you show this, and then he shows an early variation where he does this. Uh-huh. To so get that. Stealing right? the coin. Yeah. To, so yeah, he's like stealing the coin with one hand, taking right. out the ring with the other. So, uh, and then he's like, oh, but I don't, I, he doesn't like this. There's a little hitch here. Oh, and that's what you just showed me. Yes. Okay. So that is from an old, so the, the version you just showed me is, is one of his older variations. Yeah. So this, this hitch where you go like this, you, you have a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. He doesn't like. So instead he moved to, starts here. Then he goes to hand. this. And oh, then like he. Gets to the same. Oh, it's because he can get to this without. He can go right to the ring like this, right? Mm-hmm. So the problem is, I have a real hard time getting from there to there. Right. Um, from here to thumb clip. Uh, so, but the advantage is then you can reach right for the ring mm-hmm. and put this in this thing he's calling like whatever this. This is a cop that he yeah. explains early. It's sort of like a card. Like imagine like a gambler's cop with a coin. Kind of so, I'm just doing the old one that has the hitch in it. Because I can't do the transfer sure. to the thumb clip. And at that point, I think it's not... I mean, I don't think it's bad that you're doing that. I think that that is when you get into the territory of a move is just sort of better or worse, depending on who... Uh, Your hands and... Yeah, who you are and what you're... You know. But also, like, uh, I'm glad... It's not going to be universal. In that case, I'm glad he showed the earlier variation, because that's the one I'm using. Right. <laughs> As a, and, and even though on the video, he's demonstrating a clear... Like, to him, a clearly superior one. And actually, mm-hmm. I understand the reason why. Can you move from a finger palm to a thumb clip? Uh, I don't know that I could. It's uh, he explains the way he, he actually does talk about the various ways that he does that, and one he actually does it palm down. Hmm. He says to use gravity somehow. Oh yeah, that I can. Yeah, that yeah feels much easier. I was trying to do it with my palm up, and that's really hard to do. But yeah. you kind of let it fall. So I think it's an interesting product just to um, uh, hear some of his thoughts about it. And I think it's an interesting routine. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, uh, I see what he's saying. It does go right into the position. Yeah, and you do that. Okay, well you're wrong and. Yeah, so. <laughs> well, there's also parts where it's like, for now, I'm going to do it this way, and I would love to learn it the other way. Because um, also, there's a variation when you get to here, you can either do uh, like that. Right. These are various. That's like a a spellbound change kind of a thing. Uh, and then, but the the other one, he the his thing, you know, is the is. Right. This thing. Right. So that's like, yeah, and that's the, where he's uh, kind of like a karate coin move where he stabs his finger through the coin and turns back. And that's a ring. from Ring Thing that he okay. put out a while ago, uh, which he teaches like very briefly in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a harder time getting into the right position for this. Right. So because you have to like steal like that and then put it onto your finger right. in one switch. So I would say, uh, so then I showed Eric both of these, this one. And the other one. And uh-huh. he was like, oh, you should do the stab one. You oh, know. cool. I thought that looked cool. Uh, and I was like, well, I guess I'll try to learn how to do that one. Right. Um, the, it's really hard not to get them to touch each other. I bet. Like, the clinking is... Yeah. 
They're talking all the time. Talking all the time. Um, so that's what I've been working on this week. And then uh, the other thing that I wanted to say was that I got the Helder book. Oh, cool. Came? Uh, yeah. And um, I'll show you one thing that I showed, already showed Eric that he was – it was a very small thing that genuinely, like, baffled him more. Oh, cool. So I'm going to do this double the way you don't like, right? Okay. Um, and then – I didn't see – I don't need to see the card is. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. So it's just like uh, – so you – I'm putting the double back onto the deck. Uh-huh. I don't know, sort of. He's like – the, the, with, in mechanics grips, the the double is now at his fingertip, so it's sort of like an inch off of above it's the like deck. Jog towards the spectator. Yeah, and then I'm going to say, "Can like you hold out your left hand?" Yeah, nice and flat. And then I'm I'm turning it over so you can see this all the way. Right. And then I do like this. Gotcha. Uh, and so basically, as I, I turn over so he can see the double, the face of the double, and then I turn my hand back, palm up, and with my index finger slide. This is like an early thing in the Helder book, and Something about it, I, I was I kind of underestimated. Like I was like, this doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but he I think he calls it retention switch or change for cards mm-hmm. or whatever. But basically, like Eric was like very befuddled by it because he got to see the card for a long time, right? And then so you're kind of holding the card out jogged face, but, up. but it's got this little angle to it. Mm-hmm. And then when you turn over, you drop that and just slide it in and then hand it to them, right? And something about holding it. So that they're like looking at it, mm-hmm. and then I think part of it is is that this then does it really looks like it's the same card. Yeah, you don't get this um, this thing where it's like they've seen it, and then you're like, okay, here you go. Right, like that feels like a move in a way, a mm-hmm. little bit. Um, yeah, you get a lot more visibility on the card. And this isn't a move; it's just turning your hand over. Right. Uh, so I, I only experimented with one thing from the Helder book so far, and it mm-hmm. worked. It was funny because it was just like it's the same like double lift and thing that is in probably every ambitious card or whatever. Right. But it just, um, like, I was surprised by how the impact that... Like, immediately affected Yeah, Eric was just like, wait, what happened? And he's seen me do that a million times now. Wow. Um, Cool. That's... Proof is in the pudding. Were you eating pudding when you did this? uh, I ate pudding, and in the middle of it was a little thing that said, Helder's right. Wow. So it really was in there. That's fun. So that's my that's been my week in magic. Mm-hmm. Um, although we also did another magic thing this we week. We did another magic thing. Uh, 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 Chris and I were both at the David. <coughs> excuse me, I just bit, my, bit my tongue as I said that sentence. Uh, <laughs> bite your bite your tongue. You uh, should go to the David Stone lecture. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, we were at the David Stone lecture at the Magic Apple on Sunday, the twenty third. Yeah, uh, and we were both at that. Now you had seen. A majority of what this lecture was at Magi Fest. Yes, I only saw two things that I had not seen previously. Okay, what were those two things? It was the uh, cards in the water bucket, mm-hmm. and then well, that was an interesting trick. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, I can't remember if, if you go through it once we talk through it. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, but there was one other thing. Uh, oh, the prediction. Uh, that prediction. Wait, was that the same trick? Uh, the it prediction. was the same trick. I, oh, I'd never seen the. I'd never seen the entire product uh, zenith, which oh. was card on ceiling. Yeah. By the way. That's the first time I've ever seen card on ceiling. Oh, really? Yeah. Which I know is a staple of like yeah. restaurant magicians, right? Right, right. No one's, <clears throat> that's not super hot anymore. It used to be maybe like 10 years ago or something. Uh, how is it? They do it like people do it at the library bar, right? Probably. Yeah. Um, is the way that he demonstrated it generally how it's done? Um, 
No. C- can you do it with a regular deck of cards? Yeah, you can do it with a regular deck of cards. Okay. You just need to find a, a, a way of stealing wax of some kind and adding it to the back of the card that you want to put it on. Uh-huh. Um, so like people will have a, like oh. an Altoids box, maybe, or like a box of mints. This is how I learned it, I think, from an old Michael Amar DVD. And uh, it has sort of like balls of wax sort of stuck in the box lined up. And what you do is you reach into the Altoids box to pull out the rubber band yeah. that you're going to wrap the deck around. And while you do that between maybe your first and middle finger, you just basically like kind of clip one. And it's sort of like a gypsy thread kind of thing where it's so small that it's yes. very, very easy to palm. And so, then you, you add that to the, the cards that already been controlled at the top. It is uncommon. What makes his routine is uncommon with the whole Zenith thing is um, he, he does it from a closed box. Right. That's what is unique about that that routine. So normally it's of you wrap a rubber band around a deck. Yes, a whole in deck. In general. But then all the moves he was talking about about spinning it about how to throw the cards that's all standard interesting uh, except for I mean, I've never seen someone do it off a wall before which that was pretty cool. dope yeah and he said it was easier and I was yeah, like I'm like that looks way fucking it harder it looks harder to yeah. me because I, I was I was thinking he basically because of the magic apple where it was right it has like an, your traditional office yeah uh, what would you call that type of ceiling like this you know imagine uh, those tiles of just like like a soft, yeah. But they got holes in them. Right. I don't know what you call them, but he yeah. couldn't do it because like, the cards won't stick to this, and it could like push the tiles up right. if you do it too hard. So there's actually, in, in the Magic Apple, one a part of the ceiling has a sort of a metal grate, and he was able, he didn't think he was going to be able to because he thought worked, that there was yeah. going to be too much air uh, and too much, was it um, like bounce back? Yeah. I uh, think it would have moved um, uh, back and forth too much, a little grate. But it worked fine. And then, so initially when he showed the thing, he did it off the wall. And so yeah. he's, uh, if you've ever been to the Magic Apple and there's a big bookshelf on the back wall, next to it there's a big black and white sign that says, if you can read this sign, you can read the instructions. Uh-huh. And uh, and he did it off, uh, he like spins the deck and it deck bounces off the side of the wall. The card sticks to that and he catches the deck. I thought that looked very cool. Oh, it looked fucking awesome. <laughs> I was yeah. like, oh shit, that's cool. Yeah. And so yeah, this all does is done in a, uh, um, a sealed, uh, sorry, a closed, not a sealed, but yeah. a closed box. <laughs> I will say there's a, it's interesting, although there's a little bit of a dis- not discrepancy, but a little bit of like, why are you putting rubber bands? That, I was it? just thinking that. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that was. Ever, it's in was, a box. I was wondering if that was ever answered. Yeah. So, uh, how what did you think about the lecture the first time you saw it versus the overall thing now? This is about a month later, right? Yeah. Uh, so pre- I, presumably a month. I mean, it's, I think he's just been on this giant lecture tour in the states. Yeah. So he's probably done this twenty five more times since you've seen him. And I believe this was a lecture that he did a lot of a, a lot in Europe. Okay. Because um, I believe the DVD that he was selling is of this of mostly of this lecture. Which DVD? Uh, he was selling a, le- a DVD at the thing. Oh, is there a, well, um, a, a what Magic Fest? No, at the. Was he selling Apple. a lecture DVD? Yeah. Um, remember, he was saying like, if you want to watch it in. The French you're, you're subtitles. Right, you're right. You're right. Uh, I had that. I haven't watched it yet, but I believe it's a lot of this material. So he's been doing this material as a lecture for a, a lot of times. Sure. Um, I really liked it. I've still seen fewer than uh, I've probably seen maybe like ten to fifteen lectures now. Mm-hmm. Just it, if we're counting all of the like conventions, oh that sure, I've seen. which are different because they're I mean they're shorter, but they're still lectures. They're still and I. To me, this his lecture is one of the more entertaining ones. Definitely, he's he's a certainly an engaging um, guy, and that's both kind during of, and after his trick, like his performances. Yeah. Well, that's kind of why I decided to go to this one because I knew, like, if somebody had said, um, I could have seen, uh, even like Ryan Plunkett's lecture, which mm-hmm. was a very good lecture, uh, but if I could see that again at the Apple, I probably wouldn't have. Um, because I had all the information already. Right. The David Stone lecture in Ohio, I genuinely just enjoyed as a show. Mm-hmm. And he has a lot of, that's what I asked you when we were there, is like, he performs the whole lecture. Like, he has a lot of bits. 
throughout the whole yes, thing. Yes, he's doing. I, I, so I've never seen David Stone live before, either in performance or uh, lecture. Uh-huh. And uh, I was I was a little surprised by how silly he was. Always. Uh-huh. Um, is his no, his normal tone not like that? No, no, not really. I, I I just don't know that much of his stuff that well. Yeah. Uh, some of my most recent memories of him are actually watching videos of him on Francis Got Talent. I don't know if I brought that up off or on mic. So, uh, um, right. But if you can if you can get over watching like uh, ninety minute clips of Magic that that are are harder to to follow because it, they're in French. Mm. Um, he is doing some really really unique and cool awesome stuff when mm-hmm. you can you know. Uh, but he does talk, and he's like clearly doing some kind of comedy. So you just kind of have to sort of sit through that. Uh, <laughs> right. But he's doing some really cool, interesting visual things that were ver- looked like they were working very, very well on, yeah. the, on the show. So, Dad, did that seem the, the the performance aspect of the lecture seemed different to you, or uh, I just didn't know. I just guess I didn't expect that much. I suppose. I don't know. <laughs> did you want less? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, it was, it was, he was entertaining. I, I just I, I guess I didn't really have much of an expectation of who he was going to be going in. Yeah. I don't know his stuff that well. I, I haven't a, bought many of I don't think I've bought any of his products. I haven't really watched any of his DVDs in the past. Um, no, most notably Splash and uh, um, uh, Hologram. Hologram. Is that what it's called? Splashdown uh, and Hologram. Uh, uh, Splashdown. Uh, is, I think that's uh, what that gimmick is okay. called. I thought it was called a Splash gimmick. Um, yeah, so the, I knew about those. I've seen them out. I'd actually forgotten that Hologram was his. Yeah. Um, in fact, I've I seen see it a lot. It's like, that's a pretty. That that was hot for a while when I was in the junior program. People bought Hologram it. Hologram was? Yeah. You uh-huh. see that, you know, it's, that's the one where a sticker appears on a card and then it's the wrong color sticker. And so you snap and you like snap the card yeah. and, the, and the sticker changes. It's incredibly cool. Oh, it looks great. I, I mean, I, I'm not shit talking the trick. Yeah. I, I bought it because I. Um, I, you know, I, but lots of people were doing it. Yeah. Lots of people were doing it. I think once Instagram kind of became a thing that was, you know, people people made that was part of the, people kind of did the rounds doing that trick on their pages. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I, I, I've, I don't know. I haven't really gotten into too much of a stop. I think, uh, there was a time when I was just starting magic. I remember maybe my first six months. I was at a magic store in San Francisco, taking a trip to San Francisco. Misdirections Magic Shop, Joe Pond, uh, nice, uh, uh, this very friendly guy that owns the shop. Mm. Uh, and everyone kind of knows him. He's like, oh yeah, Joe Pond, Misdirections Magic Shop. Really cool guy. I've, I've been back there in, since probably 2008 mm-hmm. um, w- when I was just getting into magic. And so he sold me some DVDs. I kind of told him I was really excited and really enthusiastic. And I had these Michael Amar DVDs that I worked my way through. And he goes, okay, well, the next step you would probably kind of want is, and he gave me a stack of Bill Malone DVDs mm-hmm. uh, and that I still have to this day. Um, and uh, he, I think, also brought out a David Stone DVD. Uh-huh. And he was like, this, you know, he kind of taught me. The Bill Malone ones just felt much more in line with what I was doing, they, you know. Uh, you were doing exclusively Sam the Bellhop. I was doing variations. exclusively ba- Sam the Bellhop. I wore a Bill Malone wig, um, <laughs> and then you moved up to like a Bill Malone full face mask. Yeah, I, I, I had the guy who did all the hair and makeup for uh, John Lithgow and Bombshell do yes. uh, make me a Bill Malone suit. <laughs> Does Bill Malone live in L.A.? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. I, I don't know where he lives because um, I don't see him. I want to see Sam the Bellhop it live from him uh yeah bill bill malone is really good yeah. like for a type of comedy that that is sort of outdated in magic he's yeah. still good yeah uh i think he is he's one of the, that sort of one in a million where right he, you he, don't want everyone else to copy him but yes, he's great at it he's great at it and it's the thing that everybody was doing and it was fine in the you know the 90s and mid 2000s and now is like outdated but right. he's still like he'll do magic live rarely and uh Still great. Still great. And he's a super nice guy. Um, every time I've just... I mean, it's one of those things where I meet him every three years at a Magic Live, and he doesn't know who I am, and I'll shake his hand, and I go, oh, I started, I got started on your DVDs, and uh-huh. that means a lot to me. And he's super sweet about it. Oh, he's, cool. He's a really nice guy. Um, but uh, 
Yeah, so he handed me these Bill, these Bill Malone DVDs or a David Stone DVD, um, and he's like, "This is probably a bit more advanced for where you are, so it can be a lot more difficult." Um, and so the Bill Malone, you know, stuff was more L and L Publishing, which I was used to, and it was right. a little more colorful. So I that, I that one guy that's in all of them. Yes, you like? Uh, yeah, yeah. There's a, <laughs> what his name is? I, I can't remember off the top of my head either. Um, but he's he, he's a uh, black guy who's always wearing like sunglasses, a turtleneck, and like a gold chain. Uh-huh. Um, and he's man, he loves magic more than anyone I've ever seen. God, <laughs> God bless him. Uh, there's like a couple. There's a couple notable faces in those LNL publishing DVDs. What a weird gig. Yeah. Uh, like 20 years later to go, yeah, I was just on a bunch of magic DVDs. <laughs> I got to watch Tommy Wonder. Fill out that IMDb. Yeah. That. So, uh, yes, yeah, so I don't know much about David Stone really going into this. Like I said, I, I wasn't super familiar with the products, and so I was yeah. pretty fresh going into this. Well, um, uh, the, so the thing that struck me is that um, uh, he's an extremely charismatic performer. Yes. And I remember watching him in Ohio just thinking he is so – like he is somebody that can just get away with anything uh because he'll just like kind of cast a like like um ain't I a stinker kind right. of look which he does a lot like it's just he has a lot of charm to spare mm-hmm. to like and and then the magic is strong when you say too. can I get a, can get away with you mean like the things he says and does no i just or, thought or the type cuz he also does a lot of like bold stuff in the in his act a lot of his movement and timing is very bold ah uh, no uh, i just mean when i watched him in ohio and this is a very old way of thinking i just thought every woman must just be in love with him by the end of this oh, thing sure. because he's handsome and charming yeah. and funny yeah and also is doing good magic right and he and he knows it you yes, know, he does know it. <laughs> um not to a degree that i ever found annoying right i i wasn't like oh jesus christ this guy but yeah. uh he definitely well like you know he, he knows he's confident in what he's yeah doing. i mean i want to tell him to maybe cut some of the gay jokes but <laughs> oh yeah you yeah those are not uh those are a little uh kind of gay and trans jokes that he was making they're just kind of like that i honestly if he was american i would be much harsher about right that stuff is making its way slowly through your yes. feel yeah especially during like, the uh, um there's a definitely a, a, like a uh a, a, like a sex joke that i thought in america is a little played out well there's just like and i, I just I, it, it immediately reminded me of those two french actresses and all the me too stuff was happening it's like this is just flirting you remember that oh i uh, no. there were two i, I think in france uh, pro- fairly prominent french actresses who kind of said that this whole thing was being overblown uh-huh. like this is what men do you know that's that's the dance that's how it goes and everyone's yeah. like uh fuck you french people <laughs> uh, I, I don't remember too many details about it but i immediately went back to that in my head during one joke he told and i and i couldn't uh yeah i mean there was one time he said uh you know you two guys should uh, let's say you guys were in love i mean it's not san francisco and right. I was, like, I was like, you're in Los Angeles. Right. It's like the third biggest gay city in the country. Right. After San you know, like, what's the second? No, actually, New York. No, actually, Los Angeles is the second biggest because New York is in terms of number. Mm. Like, but yeah, I would say Los Angeles, you know, New York, LA, San Francisco, and Chicago are very gay cities. Sure. And Dallas. Um, and Dallas. <laughs> Dallas, sure. Yeah. But you know, to be just like, you know, it just seemed, it felt dated. Yeah. Hey, what, what did you think of the material? Um, I'll, I'll be, I, I wanted to like it a bit more than I did. I didn't dislike it. I thought it was pretty good. Um, uh-huh. I will say I, I noticed that, and, and this is more, I guess a personal pet peeve. Um, you, if you, if you noticed sitting next to me, there was a time pretty early on where I kind of stopped taking notes uh-huh. because I realized via the way he was teaching the tricks, uh, that I, this wasn't going to be the kind of lecture I could easily take notes to. He goes really, 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 really fast. 
and he doesn't really break up his instruction into sections. He was kind of like so. The, 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 he he performed for about fifteen minutes, and then the uh, first trick he taught was somewhere in the middle of that section. Um, oh, you mean he didn't perform, stop, and then teach? No, that's not necessarily a problem. He, what I'm talking about, he he did like 15, 20 minutes, give or take. And at one point, he did a, a torn and restored card that involved a rubber band, and he turned the deck into a little triangle-shaped thing Yeah, uh, with three little packets, tears the card up into quarters, puts it inside this little thing, and then he uh, picks it up, and the card is folded and restored. And he shows you the inside of the thing, the cards are gone. And I thought it was interesting, and it was cool. Uh and he starts explaining it, and he was just going really, really quickly in a way that was like, he wasn't like, all right, so here's your setup. You need this, this, and this, right. and then that's the setup. So, you know, and so, like, he, he kind of, it's as it if he was just explaining the trick uh, with you already, as if you sort of knew what the setup was. So he never really gave anything time. I bet this is why this didn't impact me as much, because I had seen it all already. Right. So you were, so he, so to me, it was kind of, you know, he just sort of went immediately from like, all right, so you have, uh, uh, you know, a folded up card, second from the bottom, uh, you have somebody pick the card. Another and like here, it was it was it was so it was just very 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 fast. Right. So I went, oh, this is going to be the kind of thing that's going to be really tough to take valuable notes to, um, especially when you're writing down the important process and steps, or right. unless you're trying to. Uh, I I and then uh, you know I while entertaining and and he did have some very clever things to say. I I felt that uh, you know it turned into a lot of like. I mean, eighty percent of it was, "Isn't this cool? Buy it from me," <laughs> was, uh, uh, which is I, I never am a huge fan of. Um, so, would you be okay with a lecture where it was sort of all philosophical and theory, and there were no products to purchase? Uh, if I felt that the, it I wasn't mean, if, just if like you were interested in them, yeah. Um, if, if it felt like it wasn't just someone self indulgently like jerking themselves off, like yes. isn't my theory so interesting when it's just kind of bullshit? Okay, I will say that in the Helder book, there are, there are <laughs> no a couple of, there are a couple of moments, and I believe I've only read about twenty pages of it. But already, I will say, there's a fair amount of like, here's this his explanation, here's the script I use, with it. and then there'll be an afterward that's like, I really love the composition of this trick. I love the rhythm that it, <laughs> it's a little bit like. It's kind of for other people to say. All right. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so this, I mean, this was uh, the 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 opposite of that. Is I feel as far as just like lecture and stuff, uh, lecture and theory was at the Magic Apple when I saw Roberto Joby give a lecture probably, uh, gosh, a year and a half ago, almost mm-hmm. two years ago, which was an incredible lecture, and I took very detailed notes on that. That was almost that, – that had some tricks in it. It was basically like a parlor card magic lecture. Yeah. The tricks were cool and they were fine, um, but it was all about theory, and it was right. one of those situations where he was fooling all of us because of these small details. You know, mm. There were seven deck switches that nobody saw, and of course, it's, so he talked all about the timing, the theory, and all of these things. And how, yeah, I how saw um, he has a whole book on deck switches. He does, which I own, and I, there's this sort of urban legend I, that I think is pretty true about that uh, where he was giving a lecture, and, uh, and he does like 20 minutes, um, and he goes, uh, how many, at the end of it, he goes, I just have to ask, how many people saw when I did the deck switch? Maybe two-thirds of the audience raised their hand. Maybe 75%. He goes, okay. How many people saw the second deck switch? And then a lot of hands go down. And now it's like 50%, maybe like 30 to 40%. Uh-huh. Right? And he goes, great. How many people saw the third deck switch? And now like 10 people have raised their hands. Uh-huh. Uh, and it turns out he did like 12 deck switches in this, in this routine. <laughs> and so then he says, like, so I'm going to talk about deck switches today. And, and then apparently so many people got up during the lecture to go buy the book that by the time the lecture was over, the book was sold out. Oh, man. Uh, which would have been your nightmare. <laughs> 
Yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, and so um, on the when you buy that book, I believe you get a copy of like a lecture DVD of him kind of performing it, and I think that's the one they were talking about. It doesn't translate super well. It's not you know, um, but but yeah. So he, so that was a time where. He had a lot of stuff to sell because he has a lot of books and old products. Mm-hmm. Those were not the forefront of the lecture, right. um, and it was all about. And I and I had I got like six pages of very detailed, interesting notes about right. uh, deck switches and and do's and don'ts and parlor card magic and where to stand and why you stand there and, and how you sort of turn a parlor into a stage and even like creative. You know, he goes uh, st- like, "What about when you bring somebody up on stage? That takes a lot of time. Do you pick someone from the front? Do you pick someone from the middle? From the back? There's a lot of dead st- time. Do they just walk up unencumbered to the stage? Do you go down and get them?" Right. That depends on lighting, and that depends on where the stage is. A lot of the stuff that was really cool and interesting, and like certain sometimes graceful ways to get around that. Right. So, and 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 yeah, the entire room, myself included, was finding that clearly and audibly that when he would reveal a certain, some sort of theory that helped a trick look look a certain way, like it was true. It wasn't. It was. It didn't feel self indulgent. Like right. You know, because I think probably sixty to seventy percent of the quote theory that you hear about. It's kind of bullshit. Like, it doesn't really work. Um, you know what I mean? Well, I mean, I don't know what you mean because I'm still at the stage where I'm just reading stuff and taking people's word for it. Right. You know? And and I will, I will like, learn something from a book or a video. Or I will even learn something from a tip that someone personally gives me. And then I will show it to someone else and be like, don't do that. That's wrong. <laughs> right. I'm like, well, go great. Fucking yeah. make up your minds. I know. I know. Assholes. Right. <laughs> um, so with this lecture, I felt there was a little too much of like, I can't do anything with these notes unless I buy, I, I can't do anything can't, with this 15 minute section. There's not a principle to glean. Yes. Yeah. yeah not yeah. always. Uh, and that was one of my, dis- what was disappointing me, I guess a little bit was one of my most, the, one of the things I, I know, I, I like the most about him when I've seen him perform. And one of the things I find most interesting about him is, is that sort of like uh, visual misdirection that he's so good at to steal things off of tables and to reload things like there's a, yes. you know, and that, that is uh, great. And not a lot of people can do that. And not uh. a lot of people can do it. Well, I don't see a lot of people teaching it very well. A lot of very Tommy. I'm, I think there is a, a term for it and I cannot draw the term off the top of my head. Somebody told it to me like, uh, visual misdirection or, or mm-hmm. table misdirection. I can't remember what it's called. The idea, like very Tommy wonder in the sense that the stuff is laying out on the table and, and you're using timing and you're uh, during these beats, you're stealing these things back off the table. Like t- very Tommy wonder cups and balls where the loads are the, uh, have you ever seen Tommy wonder? Cups no, balls? I have not. It's great. It really works. Um, I think it, even if I tell you what he does, it still kind of works. Cups and balls different than divernance. Yes, very much so. Uh, so why, why don't more people do his then? I feel oh, like, it's hard. It's really fucking oh, okay. hard. Cause so, I've seen the divernant cups and balls. I would say, yeah, 10 times <laughs> off mic i'll show it to you um on, on youtube and he's such a good very he's very similar to david stone he is i mean this is uh, the video is from when he's older but he's handsome he's energetic he's charming yeah. um and uh uh you know so and he's really funny and, and you know personable so he brings out a little uh, velvet bag um with a string uh on, like a drawstring and with a pom-pom tied to it mm-hmm. and uh and he takes the cups out of that and he's just like sponge balls i think and he's doing this routine and then the low he does like three loads and the loads are the pom-pom and the bag um from that he took the things out of that have been sitting on the table oh. so there's timing where you know he doesn't he reveals something and he loads the bag from the table uh so there's a lot of this i've seen david stone anytime i see a video of him it's always like you know this and then he steals a shoe and when he reveals the shoe he steals a bottle from off the table and re- yeah. reproduces the same bottle and the stuff that always kills because he's so good at it yeah and i think that's very very difficult and i would be really interested to hear a lot of his takes on that and he didn't really get into it and even when he kind of did sometimes it wasn't with the detail that i liked like at one point he uh he stole a bottle uh while taking off his jacket he did that thing where you have a, a glass of water um that you produce from your sleeve 
which I've seen in a couple places that he credited it to someone. I first found it when I was like 15 in a Joshua J book, the mm. like Complete Course in Magic, I think it's called, or uh, um, sort of. No, I think Complete Course in Magic is uh, is Mark with the Mark Wilson book. But uh, I'm trying. I'm drawing a blank on the name of the book. Uh-huh. But um, it, it's a really interesting, good Joshua J book from 10, 15 years ago, and he. He teaches that glass thing, so I kind of knew that. But he 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 pulls the this glass out of his sleeve from his jacket. And he sets it down, and then he steals the bottle uh, from behind the table. Maybe he's on the chair or something, and he reproduces it. So he, that's the only time he really um, got into that kind of thing in mm-hmm. detail was talking about the uh, the the bottle. Uh, and so, but even then, I was kind of like, how high is that bottle off off the ground? Is it you know? Uh, do you, you really want to? You want to get in the nuts and bolts. I want to get in the nuts and bolts because yeah. I think that's that is what I find to be the most interesting thing about him. And then even when he was talking about the bottle, which he did a fair amount, because he, he steals it and reproduces it like five times during the lecture. Yeah, uh, it's constant callbacks, and it usually got. I was heading pretty far to the left, so he flashed a couple of times. Yeah, um, but it was getting a big reaction, so yeah. it was working. Uh, uh, also, the oh, except what? Are you gonna say the, the paper bag? Uh, I was gonna bring the paper bag up. Oh no no! Uh, what a laugh! Remember what a laugh that got. When he showed the back of it, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But anyway, but he was he was doing all this stuff. But even then, when he was talking about the timing of like, here's how you steal the bottle, here's how you do this, that was the, the time we gave it the most detail. Even then, was when he was talking about the splash, uh, the what's it called the splash, splashdown, splashdown gimmick. Yeah, they have to buy. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so, and and, and this stuff is good. Also, quality. it's like, just a holster. Like that's right. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's not like uh, I liked the bottle from behind the drawing pad. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. That was really cool. Um, I think this is a theory I just came up with. I think that lectures like this might be more for hobbyists than Mm -hmm. working professionals. Because um, I feel like the things you're talking about that you'd want to get from the lecture, you could like buy him dinner Mm -hmm. and get a much better sense of what that is. Right. Then, because I'm not saying this is good. I think that like, this lecture for a hobbyist is like a super entertaining, like two hours of like magic. Just gen- generally, like I actually did think during that, I was like, I could have brought Eric to this mm-hmm. and Eric could just watch it as a show. In right. fact, for me, it's almost like, and I bet the amateur hobbyist mind thinks a lot like this that it's almost the best kind of magic show because oh, I can immediately find it out how it's done. Yeah. So, um, and, and bonus for Chris Grace, I can then go buy stuff. Right. So, um, did you buy anything last night? I bought uh, Zenith cause he didn't have Zenith in Ohio. Right. Um, and I, uh, by the way, every time I have a lecture now, I think about showing respect for them <laughs> oh. because of things that you've told me about being on lectures. Right. So I'm always like, I got to buy something for them. I mean, yeah, unfortunately, like you, you judge the quality of your lecture, or at least we did, um, when I was on tour with shoot, you sort of implicitly judge the quality on how you did that night based on. Right sales so there would be i remember very uh, distinctly times where we would be lecturing somewhere in your in england for 120 people mm. and we sold like 350 400 pounds worth of stuff uh and then we would do a lecture in some much smaller town with 12 people and we've sold 1500 pounds worth of stuff whoa you know like or like four different people but maybe not that much that's a bit extreme but like you know more than twice what we made from a room that had five times as many people right uh and it's sort of impossible, specifically like the the bad nights in big groups is when you go, oh, 
do, do they hate this? Like, is that what, is that what this was? <laughs> do they hate me? Um, and then, uh, except in extreme circumstances, such as Wolverhampton, which is the worst sales you've done anywhere ever, uh-huh. which was exactly one uh, uh, 15-pound DVD. Oh, no. Um, with about 35 people. Yeesh. Uh, and that was, and, and, and I'm going to say it, Wolverhampton is the worst city I've ever been to in Europe. <laughs> I didn't like it before the lecture. I didn't like it during the lecture. And I sure shit didn't like it after the lecture. Oh, no. Uh, and it was funny is um, when we would tell that story to other people on the tour, they'd be like, oh, yeah, that happens. I've heard, and then we even heard about other lecturers who don't sell a single thing when they go through Wolverhampton. Oh, Lord. Um, so, and that's in England somewhere. Yeah. Get, get your shit together, Wolverhampton. <laughs> um. I, I don't. I, I had a good time at the lecture. I just, you know, I, I, I didn't come away with like a lot of stuff. Uh, right. So at some point, I even started ditching, taking traditional. Like, I mean, this. These are the notes I have. Maybe these are the notes I got from when we went to see Juan Luis Rubiales. Uh-huh. And it's, and it's uh, a, a bunch of pages. yeah. It's probably two pages front and back completely. And the David Stone is like half a page. Because right. um, I, I like to try to take like notes during lectures, but. So uh, and you also had very long notes from uh, Juan Tamariz. That was also four hours. Uh, uh, that wasn't a traditional lecture, but yeah. But if there's something, I, I, I'm pretty good about taking really good notes during lectures uh, because you forget it. Otherwise, <laughs> you got to have like dinner with Robert Joby, right, or something? Uh, yeah, I did have dinner with Robert Joby. Um, uh, we had, we went had wine at his house, and I just saw, we got to see his like office and his library. Uh, and it was awesome. I got to see inside of his brain a little bit, and it was incredible. Did you do any kind of like that night journaling to try to like remember what you had talked about, or oh, not really, because uh, it's pretty pretty social. Um, uh, he was our contact in uh, whichever uh, Basel, which is the town in Switzerland. Switzerland. Yeah, he's Swiss, right? Yes, he is. Okay. Uh, but he speaks five languages, I think, five or six. Almost as many as Pete Buttigieg. Almost as many as is is. Um, did you watch the debate tonight? I did. Um, I, I mean, we don't get into it now. I have one question that I want to ask you off mic. Uh-huh. Uh, um, just because I'm having trouble understanding what a candidate <laughs> meant. But uh, uh, I was like, uh, what? Um, and it's a candidate I really like. So I like, no, and it's uh, magic related. It's magic related. Because yeah. uh, weirdly, in the middle of the debate, he was just like, I'm, I just can't get my second deal to look good without necktying it. Right. And you're just like, what? Um, so, uh, yeah, Roberto Joby, we had dinner with him, um, before the lecture and then we went to his house afterwards, um, and, uh, uh, had some wine and he like showed us his library and he has, you know, thousands of books and thousands and like, uh, all these different sections and oh, thousands cool. of manuscripts and stuff and all these different languages. So what he could do is he could, uh, um, you know, he's like, yeah, here's my copy of, you know. 18th century German writings on magic that I uh-huh. <laughs> that 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 he can read yeah that he can read yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and he can do so many things and so he had a section that was devoted to what he called the five masters of magic this is what I wish I'd written down because I only remember a couple of them it was a uh, Tamarez Divernon Ascanio um, uh, Hofsenzer I can't remember the fifth one um, oh but he's like these are the five great masters that he was uh, that wait who were who are the four you mentioned uh, I'm I, I'm quite certain I, you know what, Tom Rez might not have been on there. I'm, I'm almost positive he was, but I know that it was Di Vernon, uh, um, Hofsenzer, and Escano. Okay. And then I'm pretty sure it was Di, uh, 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 Juan Tom Rez. Right. Yeah, I wonder who the I, I, I think it was write. Daniel Madison. People, 
<laughs> it might have been Jabrizi. Uh, I think it was Jabrizi. Yeah. People should write us in who they think the fifth one should, yeah. should be. Send us a send us a message yeah. on Instagram. Or it's definitely Jabrizi. Definitely Jabrizi, uh, and we'll reveal some of the best answers yeah. next week uh, on our podcast. Um, oh, I want to say that um, while we're on the break, um, I think a couple weeks ago we talked about this undertow move. Oh, we from, from Dan and Dave. <laughs> right. That uh, uh, fuck you, Eddie. That, that, was that I was like. You know, I, I think it's a, a nearly impossible move. And also, I'm kind of like not sure why you would ever want to learn it. But I right. kind of mess around with it just while I'm bored because it's like, it's. If, if, as a recap, uh, Undertow you, is the move where you, you have a card. A card yep. And then you uh, take the top card off the deck, put it between the palm and the card and your hand, and you sort of, with your thumb, slide the palmed card in to the same spot where the card is. Right. And then you line them up. Um, again, not really sure what the application of this is right. for. And so weirdly angle sensitive. So yeah, it's like it's palm in your right hand and you're picking card off the left hand and you're just adding that palm card to the face of yes. that. And, uh, and uh, that was good. Oh, well, and, uh, never mind. And, I and, take back everything I said. It's the perfect move and you're dumb for not being Well, and I was like, this seems really hard to line up. And then you, Eddie, Eddie Shue was there. Yes. And so and, we were kind of like, if anybody we know can do this move, it's Eddie. Because Eddie is like a super move heavy guy and yes. he's really talented. So I asked Eddie at the break, I was like, can you do undertone? First of all, he knew exactly what I was talking about. Right. And he was like, there wasn't no. even like, a, oh, is that this one? Like, he's like, yeah, I know it. Yeah. And then he was like, I can't do it. Yes. My hands are too small. And then my hands are too small to palm he, the cards. Yeah. And he did it perfectly. <laughs> right. So he he had he was palming the card and admittedly, yeah, he does have smaller hands. And so the card was flashing. He's like, Yeah, I can't really palm cards. But I guess the move would like like this. And then he does it perfectly. I, right. I mean the the hard part of the move he nailed. Right. The the, the part that we were clearly stressed over, yes. he did perfectly with absolutely no hesitation. Without even thinking about it on his first try. <laughs> right. So and then he was very modest about like, well, I can't really use that move. But I was like, I'd still yeah, incredible that you have this encyclopedia. Um, oh, by the way, the other thing is that um, after the lecture, Jeffrey Wong, uh, who oh yeah, he was per- he showed up suddenly. He showed up. He performs with Eddie. Um, if you ever see these guys, they do a lot of amazing sleeving. Mm-hmm. And so I just bought um, Jeffrey's video. Now you sleeve me, and uh, it's actually, uh, by the way, Eddie's on that video. Mm-hmm. So it's it's Jeffrey, Eddie, and Shin Lim is in there too. Sure. Um, and so I. I mean, I'm kind of serious, and I made a joke to Jeffrey. Like, the video's really great, um, and the stuff they do is really cool. And actually, the stuff they do actually does seem doable. In the same line of, like, it's just juggling, Mm -hmm. in the same mindset, it kind of is that, right? But I was like, but I can't find hoodies the way you guys, you guys have hoodies with, like, really great sleeve openings. Oh, right. I was like, where do you get them? And he was like, the one you're wearing is fine. And I was wearing this hoodie that I don't think I could sleeve with Mm -hmm. at all. And he's like, no, that would work. And the thing is, I know that if I took off that hoodie and put it on him, that it would work. And it'd probably be like, actually, this is better than mine. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is really easy. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I thought that was uh, amusing. You should check check out Now You Sleeve Me by Jeffrey Wong. It's Mm -hmm. very good. It's very, it's also just fun to see them. That was fun too, because he put out a second one with Daniel Radcliffe and it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Now You Sleeve Me too. Yeah. 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 And, I, I love Fisher was in one of them. Yeah, but then I hate that movie. By the way, uh, I you know um, I I hate the last twenty minutes of it. Oh, the first two thirds of it, I was like, all right, then fine. And the last twenty minutes of it, it goes off the rails. Um, I just hate everything about it. Sure, <laughs> uh, I Never just saw think, the sequel. I also just think the magic in it is really dumb. Yeah, uh, for me, it was like it was all fine. I'm gonna spoil heavily the ending of now you see me which came out like eight years ago so yes. you know we're not i'm not going to treat this with the same spoilers of like, like the 1917 spoiler oh sure did you go back and edit anything saying, yes i did oh that's fine i added a little thing saying skip to this time date got it if you don't want to 
he'd be spoiled by it. Yeah. So, uh, and now you see me, everything's going fine. And then all of a sudden there are like these problems that start occurring. And then Dave Franco's character dies in a car crash. I don't remember that at all. Uh, right. So then like the last 20 minutes of the movie, it just goes from like, oh, okay, I got a sort of Robin Hood thing. And then it's like, oh no, you, in that big sort of heist movie reveal where what happens is re- actually revealed like the secret plan. Um, it was like, oh no, but we actually got a dead body from the morgue and we swapped out Dave Franco's body with it. Uh. And then we put in this giant mirror in this room to make it look like the room was empty. So they wouldn't see the big safe was there. So then they think that the safe was missing. They would be like, well, the safe's not here. Even though if those cops had just walked mm, five feet further into the room, they would have seen the reflections on the roof. It would have been like, oh, this is a mirror. This is, this room is a mirror. Right. They also could have just walked into the mirror. Yes. That's (laughs) what I'm saying. That you walk 10 more feet and you notice like, oh, we see our. My, I see my. This, I see I get myself. It. I get it. This is <laughs> yeah. this is not a real yeah. empty space. And then like it just keeps getting wilder and wilder. And then they like jump off the roof and they're holograms and they turn into money. And at the end, Mark Ruffalo is a good guy the whole time and he opens up this portal and a carousel and it's like you're in a secret society now. And you're just kind of like, what the fuck? Wait, there was the thing where they turn into holograms. That was part of their rooftop show or something. Yeah, that part I was. Like, they what, jump what, off what the roof and turn into like money. What what is the equivalent of like the Chris Angel Las Vegas? What am I supposed to be? What do, what do you think I'm watching at this point? Right. If I'm down, you know, on the ground seeing these guys perform, right. Um, so that so I was just kind of like, what the dick? I still that? I still love the Prestige. I think the Prestige yep. is an amazing movie. Uh, so is the uh, Illusionist. Illusionist, I don't like as much. Oh, you not? Yeah. Illusionist has uh, as a magic movie, the Illusionist is very good because uh, it's so it's not, a lot of its information, while a little bit exaggerated, is so accurate. I think you told me this, and I've heard from other people that the illusion, the magic in the Illusionist, I didn't like as much because there's parts in it where it's like, oh, that's just like that's CGI or whatever. And I think that the impression was they were trying to display the magic the way somebody would have said it looked like yes in the time as opposed to like whereas prestige it's almost all like pretty much like that's, that's pretty much probably how it looks you know sure. like the, uh, until it is 100 percent not that's that is my only i like the prestige a lot i think it is a better movie uh uh th- that is my only pr- like i get really excited about magic movies until they're like we're done with magic now now it's real magic yeah wait, what's the point in prestige where you uh spoilers of the prestige the, uh clones <laughs> Right, 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 right. So it's like it's fun until the 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 big the, the the whole turning point in the movie is is no longer anything to do with magic. And I was like, right. ah, okay. By the way, I would I would also highly re- recommend the book, The Prestige, that it's based on, which is very different. Mm-hmm. Um, like the second half of that book does not end the same way at all. Oh, interesting. It's actually super creepy. Um, do you think that Michael Caine loves magic for the two very prominent magic movies he's been in? Uh, I think he just loves working. No, uh, maybe. Because uh, actually, let's do this. You give me a estimate of how many credits if I look him up on IMDb. Oh, Michael Caine. How many movies do you think he's been in? I'm gonna say between ninety and a hundred and five. Oh, I guarantee this is probably low by an order of three. <laughs> Would you say ninety to one hundred and five? Like, like ninety to one hundred. Yeah, I'm gonna give myself a fifteen movie range there. Ninety to one hundred and five. Let's see. Oh, it's. More less than I thought, but way more. It's 175. Okay, I was if I I was gonna, I was gonna maybe guess 120s, 130s. And that right. seemed low. Uh, I just remember he was in Jaws four, <laughs> and when Jaws 4, people were just like, "What are you doing?" And he's like, eh, "I just like I just, I like being busy. <laughs> mm-hmm. If you offer me something, I'll do it." 
Um, I, I heard an interesting thing on the radio the other day that in Guy Ritchie movies now, a lot of people are kind of settling into the role that Michael Caine used to play in like British action movies from like the seventies and eighties. Yeah. Um, like if you saw uh, the gentleman, like the Colin Farrell character. Oh, like, you know. interesting. I have not seen uh, the gentleman. Uh, well, I, uh, you know, I liked it. <laughs> I, I, and I'll say I liked this movie every single time Guy Ritchie has made it, which right, is, right, feels right, like right. a dozen times now. It feels exactly the same as all his other movies. And it's fun. Um, I would like to give a cross promotion to, and you're not going to like this at all. Uh-oh. Are you to plug another podcast? I would like to plug another podcast. Uh-oh. I would like you guys to all go listen to the Shazam podcast. And listen to episode 48, which is the Sam Convention recap. Have mm-hmm. you listened to this yet? I have not. Oh, it's terrific. Um, it's, it's, uh, I believe Kayla Drescher went to Sam in Las Vegas. This is when I was in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, and recaps some super problematic stuff that happened with uh, Ding Yang. Uh, she is a Chinese magician. Yes, 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 yes. She's great. Uh, Unless she did some shitty stuff. No, no, no. She's, stuff, she's Shitty great. stuff was done to her. Um, yeah. Good, okay. So, I mean, she, not she, good, not good. <laughs> but I'm glad that like she didn't like go on uh, some weird rant. You know what? We, we got the sound clip we needed. <laughs> oh, no. John Carter says, good to <laughs> Chinese magician being abused. I mean, like, I'm glad that, that somebody whose act I do really, really love wasn't like, Thus, wasn't the the perpetrator of the yes. problematic things that can make me. So like uh, I'll just say it's worth going to Shazam to listen to it. Um, it's very interesting, uh, and uh, uh, that's all I'll say. There's I don't want to spoil someone else's podcast, but it's definitely mm-hmm. worth listening to. And also, I'm just glad that um, I like when people are just highlighting these things. You know, one thing David Stone was he was, he brought up a Chinese uh, volunteer. And then made a coronavirus joke mm. to them. And to me, I'm just like, I don't know. Oh, there was one thing that happened that I, you and I turned to each other and laughed about. <laughs> and that was, we, you you have uh, discussed on this podcast frequently your fervent um, distaste in, in any kind of joke about like, oh, only one person laughed at that. You know, <laughs> only one person yes. liked that. Yes. Um, for good reason, and we've talked about this many a time. Yeah, and it, I turned to you and I noted something. He didn't really make t- too many jokes like that. No, no more than I would say is average for a for a for a group of performers that don't think this is a problem right. globally. Right, right. Uh, it wasn't like he was his whole thing. I don't even really remember him doing it, but I don't remember him. I, I think I remember it maybe once or twice. But I don't yeah. even remember the instances. But at one point, he brings up a spectator, and I clap. Uh, he was like, "Hey, I appreciate you joining me on stage." I just kind of. Give him one of those. Nobody else does. Yeah. And <laughs> this joke is so ubiquitous. It is so universal <laughs> right. that that spectator, as he was walking to the chair, turns to the audience and goes, oh, wow, I guess only like only one person. Okay. <laughs> right. And I was like, this joke is so universal. Even the spectators are, yeah. even magicians do it when they're spectators. It's just, it's just, um, <laughs> it's just a built-in reflex. It is just, just like, built oh, into the around. system. Yeah. Um, Oh, by the way, you, uh, you, I don't think you finished saying about the paper bag part. Oh, right. So, so he's <laughs> David Stone. Thank you for reminding me to go back to that. David Stone is constantly reproducing this bottle. And at one point, he reaches into, he has a folded up paper bag. He sort of drops, he lets go of it and sort of unfolds open. And he reaches in and he pulls out like a, as a deck of cards or something. Uh, There's something in there that he, that he needed or like a prediction or, or something, you know. And then he produces, he, shows that and then he reaches back in that paper bag and pulls out another wine bottle right. that he slams down and it's a big reaction um, and it was good I've, I've seen people do that move out of a paper bag before so I wasn't like shocked that it happened right. um, but it was good it was done very very well and uh, 
later on he goes oh, so for the uh, you know for the bottle so um you have this and he uh, can i just say what it was i mean i feel bad well no let's just say that he let's showed he, how he, it was he produced. revealed the, the method by which the bottle was and produced, the crowd was, was like whoa there was a there was an audibly one of the louder reactions of the night and i was like I mean, if you're okay, even if you weren't a magician audience listening to our podcast, if I just said to you, like, how do you think that bottle got into the bag? Uh, most lay people would eventually like, it's not about how mystifying that production is. It's mostly just about how clean and visual it is. Right. right. So, but most people, if they sat down and thought about it, would think like, oh, it's probably this. And that's right. Right. <laughs> so it's weird for a bunch of magicians to be like, oh. <laughs> and in fact, I will even say that that was one of my my uh, lesser in, uh, favorite vanishes, or sorry, productions of that bottle of the, the ones he did. Yes. Specifically because when when the, the reason those are so strong is because of the time misdirection he has after he's stolen the bottle. Right. And he can kind of move to where back to where he wants to be. Um, but that va- that production is happening pretty much like in sync with when he's stealing it. It's kind right, of happening right. very, very, very suddenly. Right. Uh, whereas all, all the other ones, he was able to steal it and then sort of move his hand, move his wrist. Uh, so it's, he's away from where he got the bottle from. But this is like at the same spot and kind of the same time. Yes. And I don't necessarily think it is all, not always, but this is something Shoot and I would talk a lot about is, is it is generally bad practice to make the timing of the move and the placement of the move happen it all at the same time and place of the effect. Right. So you don't want the effect, the location of the slight, and the timing of the slight to all happen at the same time. Right. You want those to be spaced out as, uh, as well. Generally speaking, I know there are exceptions. <laughs> speaking of which, uh, in the early part of the Garrett Thomas Opus thing, he shows a move that he actually do- you don't end up using in the routine. Mm-hmm. So it's part of the, like, this is what evolved. And that's the one I sent you the video of where I did, like, that. Um, and the reason he doesn't use it anymore is because of the thing you're talking about. Uh, or at least it was an issue he mentioned with it, which is like if you do this, that the the move and the mm-hmm. when it's happening is like right next to each other. Right. Um, but I also want to say that it was funny that I sent you the video of me doing that, and then at the lecture you're like, "Who's is that?" And I was like, "Garrett Thomas." And he's like, "Oh, your hands looked like Garrett Thomas." Yeah, it's hard to <laughs> totally articulate, but it, it definitely had sort of a style to it and a. I, yeah. like, I feel like I've seen him hold his hands in a similar way, and yeah. the way the movement happens, it felt very Garrett Thomas. Yeah. Well, that's a compliment. Um, yeah. He's um, a talented guy. Uh, before we go, I know we only have a couple minutes. Oh, left. yes. I've been the book reading. reading. Um, yeah, I've been reading. Um, so I, this is, I think it's part of a series. Uh, it's called Harry Potter. Uh-huh. Um, just found out about it. Uh-huh. Have you heard about this? Uh, yeah. Okay. I, I have a book for you to read. It's called The Bible. Interesting. Uh, well, if it's anything like this, uh, I'm, I'm I'm sure to love it. It's not that. Let me, let me tell you not, something. It's not not the same. These Dursleys, <laughs> boy, are they a piece of work. I'm only about five pages in, but uh, they're going to get what's coming to them. Actually, I'm at sure. one point, we should watch the. Um, uh, have you heard of the thing called Wizard People, dear reader? No. So it was a guy who narrated the first Harry Potter movie, mm-hmm. just as an audio narration of the movie so you play it while you're watching the movie on silent and he's just like and it's just him it's just like riff on it he just riffs on it but it's, it's like a riff, it's, track, riff track thing uh no he's telling a different story he like overlays his story on top of it <laughs> okay but whenever they what is the kid dursley kid's name uh uh dudley dudley whenever dudley is in, he's not called dudley the guy will be like so his voice is like 
Harry woke up one day and realized he had been chosen to be aware. And then his his uh, is it his stepbrother? His cousin. His cousin Roast Beefy comes in. <laughs> so he's called either Roast Beefy or Roast Beefy Weefy the entire time. So every time the Dursley shows up, he's like Roast Beefy Weefy comes in, and it like it builds up toward like the sixth time he says it, it starts to just be very funny. That's great. I gotta check that out. Uh, but that's not the actual book you're reading. Uh, no, I'm reading Chamber of Secrets right now. That was a hilarious <laughs> bit. No, I'm I'm reading uh, a new angle by Ryan Plunkett and Michael Feldman. Um, I'm about, uh, I'm trying to kind of just read it cover to cover. Uh, I'm about, I'm almost done with it. I'm about 80% of the way through. There's a couple more tricks and stuff in the back. Uh, The bookmark um, is not accurate. Is it broken up by tricks or is it a theory book? Uh, It's it's tricks. There's a lot of tricks in this book. Um, And have you you bought a 200 euro stripper jig yet? (laughs) Uh, I have not. A 200 euro, um, he talks about jigs that you can, strippers and like card cutters you can buy for $4,000 plus. Oh, 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 Jesus Christ. Yeah, um, and I don't see myself doing that. um, It's it's really interesting. This is definitely the kind of book I like to see in Magic um, Uh in that it it is really a crash course on one type of method. Uh, Uh It's all uh, for anyone who doesn't know, which I'd be surprised if that's very many people. It's all about uh, stripper decks or tapered decks, as he refers to. Uh, you know, cards that are are trimmed on one edge in an asymmetrical way, such that when you have them reversed in a deck of cards, uh, they can be easily um, felt and manipulated by the performer. So what's interesting is the first chapter, you know, he, he, he... the forward, the idea behind this book is this is a thing that is sold as a trick deck of cards in most magic shops to most beginners. And he goes, it gets thrown into your drawer. Uh, with the invisible deck. With the invisible deck and the mental photography deck and the cartoon. And uh, and nobody, you know, everybody moves on to more difficult, excuse me, more difficult slights. And uh, and then people just forget about it. And, he, and, he, and what he did was, it was he was working at a magic shop in, I think, Texas. And he's working behind the counter and he's just doing that trick 200 times a day to sell to people and then he started realizing he'd do other things with it and and what's interesting is i would not have i didn't really think of put this together but what the reason he said is because that trick is sold at the same time as a cartoon or a mental photography or an invisible deck but the difference between the, the stripper deck and those is that those are like one trick wonders they do exactly one thing because mm-hmm. that's all they can do whereas the stripper deck is sold in that vein taught to you in that way but it is actually just an interesting tool that can do Many, 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 many things. Um, and so what's cool is there's even the, the book is even sort of interspersed with like little ideas that aren't full tricks. Mm-hmm. So like there's a Juan Tomarez trick that is uh, – it has an official name. I, let's see if I can find it. The, the, but the more colloquial name is Neither Blind or Stupid. Mm-hmm. So it's a Juan Tomarez trick where uh, the he, his sort of big push was making – something of that was very process heavy because that trick involved dealing the deck into two piles into something that's more fun and presentational. So, uh, and Juan Tomarez's justification, he has a sort of fun presentation justifying why he has to deal the deck into two piles and it makes it a little bit more interesting. Mm. And this was a way of just like cutting that out and basically doing the exact same trick but with these methods. So a lot of, so there are some tricks in there but a lot of the tricks I'm noticing so far are really just sort of classic recognizable tricks enhanced in some way uh-huh. by the ability to use a tapered deck. And uh, I'm really enjoying it. It is definitely, yeah, you, you know, there is some difficult material. For, for, a, for a book built around the idea of a gimmick, um, it is very difficult. There's a lot yeah. of slights in there. Uh, the, the, sli- the, 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 the whole book really is just in there to um, uh, to enhance things that already kind of exist. Yeah. Uh, and it's funny, he does, I, I sort of always thought this, but I'm glad somebody else said it, was he was talking about 
you know, he's like, you you forget that you you stop mentioning that these books, you forget about this trick. One of the reasons why you forget about this de- this uh, gimmick is because you're you you learn all of the tricks that come in the little booklet that are like 101 tricks to do with the stripper deck. Right. And he goes, and you start to notice number five where you grab the card and you strip it right out of the middle of the deck and go, is this your card? Starts looking very, very similar to trick 99 where you grab the card and you pull it out, strip it out of the middle of the deck and show it to them and go, now, sir, is this is it correct in saying that this is your card? Like, <laughs> right, right. So you notice that these two are are actually quite similar. <laughs> right. Um, and I've definitely thought that any time I've bought like 100, you know, 25 tricks to do with a Svengali deck, 25 dr- tricks to do with a thumb tip, 25 tricks to have do with Have you bought stuff off of library.com? Uh, I have not. L-Y-B-R-A-R-Y? I have not. A bunch of ebooks on there, and many of them are like that. Sure. So it's like uh, all those are all the terrible. And even what's even interesting is is the way people creatively use Svengali decks now uh-huh. um, uh, is better than than what is put in you know the eighty tricks you can do with with, with this. So I like that someone is really taking a professional look at uh, at at this type of material. Uh, I will say in Ohio that he was very fooling in the stuff that he demonstrated, mm-hmm. um, and it seemed also a nice advantage that uh, a majority of your set could still just be done with this deck. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. So, that's, that's He's basically like, it is unlike these other g- trick decks, quote unquote, it is a gimmick that you can kind of t- turn on and off. Right. Uh, if handled properly, you can do the whole routine. Uh, you, uh, you can do a, a lot of the, your normal magic, your normal routines without disturbing the order of these cards. Yeah. The, and then he likens it to a uh, memorized deck, that, like a stacked deck. He's like, you can still do regular things with that. Right. And then once you want to, now you can use this thing you have and you can go back to. Um, he does talk about sort of warning, pe- warning you that if an audience senses that it's a trick deck, uh, that it's all over, of course. Um, and whether they understand the, you know, uh, taper deck or stripper deck or not, that uh, by virtue of even them thinking it's a quote trick deck, it kind of ruins the whole thing for them, which I think is true. I've said very similar things in some of my routines when I talk about like sleight of hand yeah. and what that means to people. Uh, what's interesting is I feel like this is one. I mean, I'm not not that I'm I'm, I'm saying he's wrong, but it, 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 stripper deck feels like the kind of thing that's really really difficult for people to see. Um, and in fact, he even talks about. You mean the likelihood of an audience member being like, yeah. "Oh, I don't think it's anywhere in the orbit of what normal people would think about." I think so too. He even kind of comments on that. He's like, "Most magicians don't notice it." Yeah, I but don't... he he does talk about like the advantages um, of having smaller, uh, sort of less steep cuts in the cards, uh, right. less deep into where. Which they, is why he wants you to buy the jigs. Right, because if you if you were to just buy it somewhat upscale stripper deck. Um, you still don't really have any control over the uh, where the cut is, what side of the cut the card is um, on. I guess it is a common misconception, a misconception that I held to be true, that uh, stripper decks are cut on both sides, sort of making a trapezoid-shaped card. And it's only one. Um, and it's only one side, which I did not know. And he was saying, so now the side that's on, where that deep gradient, like that, that deeper angle uh, goes, whether that goes into the index or the side of the card that doesn't have the index matters, whether it's even on the short edges of the card, um, the top and bottom, or the, right. the wide edges of the card. Um, and he goes, when you just kind of buy one, even if the magic shop or the magic dealer you buy from has good quality cards or like in the 15 to $20 section that are not just cheap and sh- terrible, right. uh, you're still really only limited to one option, which is why if you really want to get into the, the work here, you kind of need to, to, to get a, a thing like this. Um, but there is, I mean, but, but he was basically saying, talking about the trade-off between having a thick, a thicker, uh, deeper cut, which makes a more obvious um, thing to pull out versus a, a smaller one. And that is just the nature of, 
Um, right, so it's easier. It's easier to, to get a bigger to 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 strip out a bigger right. card a, with a wider margin and a deeper cut. Right. That being said, he goes if you have you know now if you have a really small one, it is a bit harder to it takes a bit more practice and it's a bit harder to make sure you're getting it. Um, but you now it's much harder to see. So now you can put that in someone's hands. And if you just if they just want to do an overhand shuffle, the odds of them noticing it, feeling it, or coming in contact with it, if they do like an overhand shuffle, are much right. much lower. Uh, uh, I think that I don't uh, know how much of a concern that is for me, really. But. I still think that a layman would have no idea. But also, I I think that actually the way if the tricks that are in the book are architected the way like similar to what he showed in the lecture, mm-hmm. because some of them were from this book and some of them are from the other book that sold out. Um, then I also think that he he structures his tricks in a way that it's not apparent. They never end with him just being like, is this your card? Right, yes. There's all enhancing u- ways of doing things. Yeah, they're like utilities almost in the middles of the tricks sometimes. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, and in that way, I don't think anyone would ever connect one to the other. Yes, yeah, definitely. And uh, um, I really like, you know, the only com- uh, com- complaint is the wrong word. Personal preference is that like some of the material in here is not material that I'm that excited about. Yeah. Um, so like one of the first routines is, you know, is the three card selection. You're calling and the ace sort of catch them. Um, then he offers a very interesting uh, alternative ending where, uh, you know, the, the aces that caught the cards switch places with the cards they caught, like in the spectator's hands in a, in a cool visual way. Um, uh, is this off a spread? Yeah. Yes, he did that at the lecture, yeah. Yeah, so uh so I would just say like like I have the same quibble with um In Order to Amaze, which is Pitt Hartling's book. Like uh-huh. there's a whole section in there about like poker deals and stuff you can do like poker things you can do. Right. Which just I've never been interested in poker routines. Right. So I just don't really care. But it's still good if you like that kind of material. I would put this in that same vein. Right. So, you know, I would definitely give this book like a like a four out of five. Uh, but you know, it is it is like it's kind of reinventing a new old thing, which is what I like. It doesn't sort of claim like we want to do something brand new that no one's ever done before. It's right. kind of like r- taking a look at old things and going, Oh no, I bet there is something here, which kind of inspires me to th- look at to not be dismissive of old things that I have in my drawer. Or old people. Or old well speaking of the debates. Yeah. Um so uh, and it's 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 very interesting and yeah it's a really good balance between tricks versus like interesting ideas you can apply to other things. Yeah. Uh, One thing I have noticed with because uh, I have Nick Lacapo uh, at, at the Penguin Max he sold his thing about um, uh, I don't even know what you call them like flying cards or whatever a UFO card uh, I guess uh, where I noticed that the people that are in the weeds of the sort of like more knowledge about these areas. They really get into the like, like in the Nick Lacapo thing, he's like, you should make your own card. You should get the invisible thread. You should like, you have to like unweave the thread somehow. And like, he's like, you should get in the habit of like, like I have made a thousand of these. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, and the same thing like with him, like making all those stripper jigs or stripper decks. Even in Ohio, he actually was selling the book and he was like, and I brought like 10 of the 10 of my decks that I've cut myself. Uh, if you want to have one, whatever. Right. So it's like the people who really get into these like very narrow fields kind of live with all those uh, subtleties and nuances of like making the gimmicks mm-hmm. themselves. And I think that's fascinating. Those also seem, sometimes seem like, can I just buy one? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it seems like a, but then uh, I, I'm sort of assuming that 
by going so deep into a, like a single field of knowledge that they're really getting uh, a sense for the various advantages and disadvantages of all the different cuts, for example, that sure. he can make. Uh, it's interesting, uh, but also intimidating. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you have any uh, shows coming up? Um, I just added one thing. Um, I'm hosting Magic Bar uh, this coming Monday oh, cool. with uh, Jonathan Levitt. Oh, I'm nice. I'm going to there, and Jonathan Levitt's one of my favorites to have at Magic Bar. Uh, he's, he's kills. Yeah, he absolutely kills there. Um, uh, he's one of my favorite, st- really people? anywhere. Uh, people, yeah. yeah uh, he's a great guy. He is really great, and uh, just every time I see him perform, he's just like so, uh, like good and solid and and professional and entertaining, and yeah. and 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 he delivers great reactions and great um experiences for people. Now wait, haven't you gotten mad at him for being too handsome many times? Yes, yes. Uh. I, I'm and for, also, for dressing too he well. He dresses so well. I like. I, I once said to him um, that he looks to me like he is to me the human equivalent of like when you get a really, really, really nice new crisp one dollar bill. And you're like, <laughs> I almost don't want to spend this. It's so nice. Right, right. And you're right. like, if I put it in my wallet, it's gonna it's gonna bend. It's gonna, like that that uh, that no controlled men thing. Or it's like, no, don't put it in your pocket. Then there's another dollar bill. Um, I would say uh, and, always looks very and, good, dressed very well. By the way, I assume these guys are friends, or maybe they hate each other. But he reminds me of Steve Valentine in the sense of like these are guys that are sort of well put together, mm-hmm. extremely charming, mm-hmm. very good at magic. Seems almost unfair, right? Like uh, Steve, Steve Valentine <laughs> definitely to me comes off as a bit more like chaotic than <laughs> you're like Steve Valentine's ugly as shit. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, no, he's not. He's a very handsome guy. Yeah. I just mean they're both sort of abundantly, uh, like, uh, you know, they're almost David Stone esque in that right. same way. Um, whereas, you know, there's a lot of other magicians that are kind of like, oh, it makes sense that you're a magician. Although I will say that Steve Valentine and Jonathan Levitt are also both actors, so that can that could be an actor thing. Yeah, could be an actor thing. I guess I'm just another one of those too handsome <laughs> business dudes. You know what I mean? Yeah, actor, all actors slash magicians. Shoo, all actors are handsome. Um, I will say, oh, this week, uh, if you want to check out Stumptown on mm-hmm. ABC, you can see me say one word. What uh, what night is that? Wednesdays, but Wednesdays. it's on Hulu. Okay. And then I should be on Superstore this week as well. Oh, great. Uh, I'm I, a couple weeks behind on that, so I got to catch up. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then I'm going back to Stumptown next week. Cool. And uh, back to Stumptown. I just booked a, I will be on episode two of what's called the Untitled Mayor series, which mm. is Ted Danson's new show. Oh, cool. Uh, so I don't know... I'm shooting episode two, which means it's gone straight to series, which means they're not going to pilot it and hope for the best. It means the network has been like, which makes sense. If you have Ted Danson, you're just like. Right. You're like, you let Ted Danson do what he wants. Yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So check out Magic Bar. Check Are Magic you Bar. doing Monday and Tuesday? Or just- I'm just doing Monday, uh, March 2nd. Okay. But come either day. Come support Magic Bar. Um, it's kind of the only place in LA like it where close-up magicians get to do more than 18 minutes and yeah. have to like, relax with a real audience. And it's a lot of fun, so come support Good that. drinks, good popcorn. Good, great popcorn. Uh, uh, I'll be there for whatever that's worth. <laughs> and John will be there as I'll well. I'll be in the room. I'll make you those <laughs> drinks. I'll serve you that popcorn. You want more popcorn? I got a fucking bucket of it. Do you know it. how to make it? I don't. Um, but we also, uh, uh, they also sell uh, macarons now um, that are Ooh. made in-house every day. Um, fresh uh, every day. Uh, set a, you get a, get a box of three for six dollars. Oh, they nice. are mwah. excellent. Uh, well, I think that's it for this week. That is that. That is it. Then we'll see you next. See time. you next time. Mm-hmm.